Welcome to New Hope Church's Sermon Series Podcast. The following message was recorded at our in-person services on Sunday, November 21st, 2021. Visit newhopepdx.org to download teaching notes or to watch the full-length service. In the final week of our teaching series, The Good Life, Pastor John Rosenstiel will be exploring how the gospel relates to death. We want to take a moment to recognize that this topic may be hitting some sensitive spaces in your heart and mind. If you need help, know that you are not alone. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a hotline for individuals in crisis. To speak with a certified listener, call 1-800-273-8255. Right. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Welcome to New Hope. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, John, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. It's great to see you. Uh, If you come here regularly, you know I love statistics, and I got an opening statistic that will blow your mind, and I know it's we're in the era of fake news. Everybody wants to know your sources, and did you get it right, and all of that, but I'm confident in my sources. You guys ready for the statistics? You ready? All right, here it is. One out of every one person is going to die. And uh, I could footnote it, you know, and put the footnote, every person who's ever lived is the footnote, right? And here's the deal. We, we don't like that. It's just seeing that up there. I was talking to somebody after the first service. Just seeing it there is uncomfortable. It creates some angst in our hearts. Because we live in a world that wants to do everything it can to deny that reality. Silicon Valley is even involved in that now. Uh, they have this whole thing called biohacking. So they're using their immense wealth and their immense technological expertise to try to solve the problem of death. A couple years ago, I remember the cover of Time Magazine had this, all about biohacking. This baby could live to be 142 years old. It's kind of creepy. Uh, So Google has a company called Calico Company. Uh, the, The founder of Oracle, Larry Ellison, spends $40 million a year on it. He's quoted as saying, death makes him angry. <laughs> so he's going to solve it. Yeah, good luck. Uh, there's a Russian company with another billionaire uh, that's called the 2045 Initiative. They're trying to uh, get to immortality by 2045. Uh, Vladimir Lenin, he was the founder of Soviet communism. He died of, of a heart attack in 1924. and uh, The country loved him, and they wanted to build a mausoleum that could forever hold his body in perpetuity so that people could come visit. As they're, as they're building the big freezer for his body, his body started to decompose, so they had to go quicker. And then every year they spend tons of money and time because fungus and mold grows on the body and they gotta treat it with chemicals and blah, blah, blah. And then they work really, really hard so that people can come and I don't know if the picture came up and see this. He looks like waxed fruit, doesn't he? I mean, I'm not trying to disrespect the dead, but my point being, like, he looks like that, and it takes so much time and energy to keep him looking like that, because he's dead. That's the deal. And we don't, there's something in this, as I keep talking about it, there's something, listen to your heart, there's something in you that's like, ah, I don't want to deal with that. Sigmund Freud, if you've ever been to school and studied Freud, and we won't go deep into Freud at all, but all of Freud's stuff could basically be something like this. Freud thought everything that was wrong with the world and with humanity came down to sexuality and some kind of, you know, the way we thought about sex. Increasingly in that field, people are pushing back. Uh, Ernest Becker's one of them, there's many others. And they're increasingly writing and saying the problem with humanity at the core in all of us, and we feel it even as we're talking about the subject today, is the denial of death. Or people who don't want to grapple with it. 
And so there's this underlying just deep angst in our bodies that we're trying to do everything we can to push death away and keep it away till, till the very end when we have to grapple with it. And it's kind of a recent phenomenon because as you go back to the first century, so we're going to read some scripture in just a second from Paul's letter to the Philippians. So that's written in the first century Roman Greco world. In that time, the average lifespan was 30. And it stayed that way, maybe topping out at like 40 for the next 1,800 years. And many of us in this room wouldn't be around in that world. Uh, the infant mortality rate in the first century. You ready for this? 36%. That means I have 100 babies, 36 of them did not make it to a year old. Death was everywhere. So they simply couldn't deny it and push it away. Fast forward, 1900 America. That's not that long ago. The average lifespan was only 47. The infant mortality rate was still 16%. Now in the present, and thank God for this, uh, the average lifespan is now 78, and the infant mortality rate is 0.6. Uh, that, that's, that's wonderful, but it allows us to not grapple with death till the very end. I've done a lot of funerals. And uh, I've been privileged to do funerals in other countries and in other cultures. And trust me on this, Americans in our funerals, we just want to keep death as far away from us as we can. We don't want to wrestle with it. In other cultures, I did one in the, in the Amazon jungle. I've done one for, for people from other countries and cultures. They embrace it. There's a lot of the touching of the body and open caskets and, and wrestling with it in real time. Because in those cultures, they're confronted with it. So while I were incredibly blessed to be in a country where we have the wealth we do and the medical technology and all that, it allows us to fall for this lie that death will never come for us. And it's just, it's a lie. So we're gonna talk about that today. Uh, and, and even if we're able to hold it off to the longest extent we can, the oldest living person on record is 122 years old. That's it. And I read the other day, she smoked cigarettes till she was 117. Go figure, right? It's the power of genes, I guess. We're at the last message of our series called The Good Life, and we've essentially been looking at how, how not the shrunken gospel, and that's what a lot of followers of Jesus aspire to, is this very narrow, shrunken gospel, but the full gospel, the big, beautiful, bold gospel that we have to step back into. We've been looking at how that big, bold gospel uh, intersects with really important topics. And so as we were piecing this series together, I thought, man, we have to end on this one. I know people don't want to talk about it, but this is a shared reality for all of us, especially in this season where death has never been more prevalent. So today we're going to look at the gospel and death. You're probably like, why did I come today? All right, so we're going to pray, and I want to uh, do two things as we pray. I've been reading a lot about noise pollution and how it affects our spiritual journeys, and I think it's true. So I was thinking, you know, one of the greatest gifts we can give one another in our gatherings is the church is silence, perhaps, Silence. So I'm going to, you know, this will push you a little bit, but I'm going to give us like 30, 40 seconds of silence. And maybe even in the opening, you're thinking about this topic and all of our lives have been touched by this and it's, it haunts us in a way. And maybe just talking to God about that, giving that up. Maybe you're coming in carrying something. You just want to release that to the Lord so that we can be fully present together, so we can listen to his spirit who's in our midst and working in our hearts. And then after that silence, um, this is a little book. I love, uh, I love reading just written prayers. I think it's beautiful. It's called Every Moment Holy, Volume 2, Death, Grief, and Hope. So I'll read a prayer over us, and then we'll have our scripture reading. Can we do that? Great. Well, let's pray. We're going to start with silence, and then I'll, I'll read a prayer over us.
I once again entrust all things to you, Jesus, for you are the captain of my passage through this storm. You're the king who leads me home from lonely exile. You are the lover who embraces me in the midst of my grief. You're the redeemer of all lost and broken things now yearning to be made new. Your mercies are everlasting and your promises are true. You are the very author of life and the conqueror of death who has promised to remake this world, this sky, these gardens and cities and stars and also, yes, my own failing flesh, raising it new and imperishable. So seal my heart unto that day, O Christ, so inhabit these holy spaces, these hardships and sorrows, and this precious hope of glory. So cradle me in my present frailties and commune with me in my grief. And all God's people said, amen. Dan's gonna come up and read our scripture for the day. Philippians chapter one, verses 18 through 24. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so we're in Philippians, and um, let me give you a little context. Uh, brief passage here, but we always want to have context. Uh, Paul planted the church of Philippi around AD 49. We're probably about 13 years later, AD 62. We think Paul is in a Roman prison or in, under house arrest. And that he senses, if you read under the layers of, of the letter, that he senses his time is coming to an end. So this is in very much a real sense. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have a terminal disease, but he's facing possible execution. He's kind of reading the writing on the wall. And he's thinking this is probably it for him. So I think we can, we can, it's fair to say that we can consider Paul on his deathbed. So on his deathbed, Paul, this is the key verse, Philippians 1.21, for to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. So Paul's pondering on his deathbed. He's just thinking, as any person does that's facing death, man, what would it be like to live? Maybe, maybe I get a reprieve. Maybe God answers prayers, and I'm set free, and I can go about doing what I've spent the last couple of decades doing. What would that be like? So he's just thinking about it. He's living into that. And he's like, well, but probably I'm going to die soon. What would that be like? And so he sums up those two different positions with these phrases, for to me, to live is Christ. So Paul's like, well, let's say I get a reprieve and I'm set free and prayer is answered. 
to live as Christ. It's a weird statement. What he means is, for Paul, and really for anyone who follows King Jesus, our call is led by the Spirit of God to live cruciform lives, that we're laying down our lives for others. That because we follow Jesus, and as we talked about a couple weeks ago, our lives are not our own, we belong to Jesus. As we intersect with people's lives, we're dying so that they may live. And this is how Paul lived, and it's how he planted these churches, it's how he cared for them. And he knew that to do that would be good for them. So he's processing that, to live as Christ. And then he says, and I could kind of see him get a glimmer in his eye, kind of a smile on his face, uh, to, to die is gain. To die is to, to be with Jesus. I, uh, because I have the privilege of being with, with many people before they die uh, on their deathbeds or doing funerals and working with families that have lost someone, one of the pastoral questions I get a lot theologically is where do we go when we die? Now, we know that the answer most people give is heaven, but well, that's kind of nebulous. What does that mean? We want to be more precise than that. We know as we study scripture, and we talk about that, this a lot around here, that our future reality is that all of us, after the resurrection, the final resurrection, will be given new bodies. Can I get an amen to that? I want to be like 6'3", so I can dunk a basketball. Yeah, that's what I'm asking the Lord for, that. So we get new bodies, and we know, as we talked about last week, we'll be on a renewed earth. This is our forever home. So we know that that is going to be the end. That's, that's where we're going to land. New heaven, new bodies, awesome. I don't know what we'll be doing, but it'll be great. Well, where do we go in between? That's a, that's a really great question. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. And we don't know. The Bible just doesn't tell us much about that. What I tell people, and I, uh, that's a really important question, and, and I hold that as a privilege when people ask that. So I want to be precise. I want to be honest. So what I say to them, what I think Scripture says, is that we'll be with Jesus. Uh, and that's comforting to me. I don't know about you. Uh, that's what Jesus said. If you remember the scene on the cross, he's with the criminal. Remember, and the, the criminal kind of looks to him for life and recognizes who he is amidst the chaos and the taunting. They have this really beautiful moment. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you will what? Be with me. So I think we'll be with Jesus to, to a greater degree than we are here. I hope as you follow Jesus that you have a, a level of intimacy with Jesus, that, that the Spirit of God is working in your life and you have those moments. For me, it's a come and go thing, to be honest. But I think Paul, who walked faithfully with Jesus for decades, had deep intimacy. So he was with Jesus, but there's just a degree. There, there's only so far we can go with our broken bodies in the broken world. And so Paul said to the Corinthians in his first letter, uh, we, see through, uh, we see through a mirror dimly, on that day we will be face to face. So that's how I comfort people. I think that's as honest as I can be. I don't know what it's going to look like until the final resurrection, but I know you'll be with Jesus and you'll be face to face. How cool is that? And I think I can say that confidently as their, as their pastor. That's why Paul says, to die is gain. And so Paul's using an ancient form of reasoning. You see it in other letters, and you see it in, in, uh, in thinkers outside of the Bible in the first century. Well, they'll have this internal dialogue that they open up to everyone to listen to, and they're, they're teaching. So that's what Paul's doing here. He's opening up to the Philippians his internal dialogue. Well, let's see, to, to, to live is Christ. And so to this church, he's like, I'd love to come see you again. I love you. I think I could help you. I think I can embody Jesus to you, so it'd be good for you. I don't think he's being egotistical there. He's just like, I think it would be good for you. I would want that for you, so part of that makes me want to hang around. But then I see him, like, pause, get tears in his eyes, but, oh, 
Man, it's been a tough three decades. <laughs> Speaking of Paul, to die is gain. To be with Jesus, better is one day in God's house than a thousand elsewhere. Yes, for me. And this is not uncharacteristic of, of saints in our midst. And I don't know there's a lot of them, to be honest, but there's some. There's some in this church for sure. You know them when you see them. Just they're so deeply interwoven with God, you're just like, oh, I just want to be with these people. And I've had the immense privilege of being at the side of saints who are just so close or in the moment of, of entering God's presence. And it is such a joy. I was just talking to somebody at the first service who's a hospice nurse, and she was confirming, yes, I've seen that as well. And typically, I remember one lady in particular, just one of the godliest women I've ever known, and I just had the immense privilege to be at her side. There's no one else in the room, no doctors and nurses, and she was close. And uh, we'd be talking, and, and, and then she would get like this far away, distant look on her eye. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. Like her face would begin to kind of glow. And she'd be like talking to Jesus. Like I'm there, like I'm like the third person listening in. And I mean, it was, it was such a sacred, holy space. And then she would kind of come to, and then she'd like, oh, hi. You know, and she'd like pat me on the shoulder. You're still here. <laughs> and that was her kindness as we talked, like, what are you, what are you scared of right now? And she, she wasn't scared. She's like, well, you know, I'm going to leave behind people I love. I'm, I'm worried for them, but I'm going to be better. <laughs> she had no doubt she's going to be better. She's like, she literally was like, I'm ready to go home. Man, that's holy. And I think that's kind of what's going on in Paul's life right now. I want to get to that point. So here, here's, as I was putting together this message, this is a gospel and death, and I was just starting with a clean sheet of paper, I kind of started wrestling with this question. Does the Bible present death as an enemy or friend? It's an interesting question. Uh, Augustine would say one thing. Irenaeus, another church father, would say another. It's kind of a theological debate. Does the Bible present death as an enemy or friend? I, th I think, honestly, it's a false dichotomy. And what I'm going to preach today and put forward to you, you can tell me how I did when I'm done, from the Bible, not my own perspective, I think the gospel says both. It says both. And this is the way I would say it. This is the line I want you to ponder. The gospel declares death an enemy while embracing it as a friend. So let's get into the text. That's just what I think, but I think the Bible says it. So the, the easy part, I think, is the, death, the gospel declares death to be an enemy. Uh, Paul says to the Romans, the wages of sin is death. When we win our own way, the ramifications of that is death, a broken relationship with one another, with God, with the world. Uh, we can go on and look at other places. Later in Romans 5, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. And then Paul's really precise in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. When I do funerals, and I think Christians are very poor at this oftentimes, so I try to go out of my way to make sure that happens. Sometimes I know the people well, sometimes I don't. But almost always, uh, there's deep grief. Almost always. And oftentimes, there's anger, especially when you have to do the funeral of a child. It's horrific. It's horrible. And so, as a pastor, I want to own that in the room. I think a lot of Christians feel like they're, like they're doubting God if they articulate those things. And I think that's foolishness. So I try to say, you're here today, and you're sad, and you're angry, and I want to say that to all of you. Death has touched your life, everyone's life, especially in this season. And if you're sad about that or angry about that, that's absolutely okay. I think that's righteous. I think you mirror God's heart when you do that. Because I think that, that when, when we see death, it's not the way it's supposed to be. That's how we define sin here. Not the way it's supposed to be. So when we feel those things in our spirit, we sense something is off 
And if you don't believe me, believe Jesus, the incarnate God. And one of my favorite stories is when Lazarus died, and you may know the story, I've preached it a few times here, and he waits a couple days for him to die, which seems heartless, but then like he's got a bigger agenda. And he shows up, Lazarus is like his best friend. And I, I always have the view of like the old, like the old West movies with the two gunslingers. And one's Jesus and one's the tomb in the scene. And I just see him staring down the tomb. And Jesus is weeping. Jesus is weeping. And then in the text, in the Greek text, twice it says that he was deeply moved. And uh, I don't, that's not a good translation because it's way more intense. The, the word actually means anger. It means in, indignant displeasure. It's the same word we see in extra biblical sources at the same time for the snort of an angry war horse. God's angry. That's his friend. This is the Jesus who created everything knew how it was supposed to be, and now he's dealing with this death. It's not the way it's supposed to be, and Jesus would obviously do something about it. So if you're feeling that, then that's totally okay. That's godly. In the same way, we go back to that original story in the garden, and we start to see the first seeds in the ground that, that the gospel is going to do something with death, that actually the God, that, that death can be friendly in light of the gospel. And we see that because Adam and Eve sin. And then God, remember, he puts them out of the garden. He knows they've eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They've tried to be God. They've tried to play God. It's not going to go well. God also knew in the garden is the, the tree of life. And if they were to eat of it, they would be forever locked into the state of brokenness and chaos. And God in his grace did not want that, so he puts them out. Because God's got another plan to fix it. As Tolkien uh, said in one of his writings that, you know, the elves in Tolkien's world are immortal, but Tolkien said the doom of the elves is to be immortal. <laughs> it's an interesting thought. It's like that's not, we, we, we think we want that to be immortal. No, you don't want that in this broken state. Heck no. So the gospel begins to tell us there's something else going on. It's not just an enemy. That's just the way the world thinks. Don't want death. Don't want to do everything you can to avoid it. The gospel now begins to invite us in to say there's more going on here. It is an enemy but we can also begin to embrace it as a friend. Jesus said in that same scene with Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Paul says to the Corinthians, death has been swallowed up in victory. And then he asks these two profoundly beautiful rhetorical questions. He says, death, where is your victory now? <laughs> death, where is your sting? Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, that forever broke the power of sin and death. Death now is like a bee without a stinger. Paul's like, where is it? He's like taunting death now. There's a friendliness that, that, that the gospel invites in death. At the same time, there's this, there's this groaning to be released. I think we see the friendliness, in, and then Paul says in the Romans that all of creation and everyone who belongs to Jesus has this deep, guttural groaning to be set free because we know what awaits is better. So yes, death is an enemy, but death can also be a friend. So how? Uh, three, three points here that is that I think there's many more, but I think this is, these are the three points the scripture says. How, can, how does the gospel make death a friend? I think first, uh, the inevitability of death right-sizes us. I think in this whole foolishness about creating immortality and putting out death as long as we can, there's such hubris. There's such incredible arrogance when money and power comes into play. It's not going to work. I think you know that. And already we struggle as humanity with arrogance. We all want to be God in some sense in our brokenness. Imagine if death was solved and we just lived forever, how ugly it would get. The fact that death awaits us and one out of one person dies and life's not that long, 
That reality right-sizes us. It reminds us who we are and reminds us who God is. 78 years is the average lifespan right now, which is great. I hope it gets longer. There's nothing wrong with that. But 78 years, it's like that. Younger people, listen to me. Talk to older people like me or older people in the room. I have a practice of trying to talk to people I respect who are parents and grandparents to say, what do I do with this whole parenting thing? Because I'm in over my head with teenage girls. Like, what do you do? And they give me good advice, but almost to a person, they look me in the eye with tears in their eyes. Do you know what they say? I bet you can guess what they say. It goes so fast. It goes so fast. The old adage that the, the days are long, but the years are short. And kind of bad news, I just read an article today for the first time in like 50 years, the average lifespan in America has dropped a year and a half. We're going backwards, y'all. That's not good. The scriptures use all kind of metaphors for life, and I've kind of compiled them. This is what scripture says. If you don't believe me, believe these metaphors. The scripture says again and again and again that life is short, life is brief. It's compared to a shadow a vanishing cloud, a sprinter that just dashes by, a flower that's here one day and gone the next, the speed at which an eagle swoops down on its prey, water spilled on the ground that just evaporates, a passing breeze, mist, grass. That last one is from Moses in Psalm 90, one of my favorite psalms. I think he wrote it near the end of his life uh, because of his sin, he wasn't allowed to take the people into the promised land. I picture him writing it, sitting at the top of a rock, looking into the promised land, broken and sad, after a long life, but also looking back at the faithfulness of God. And he pins this magnificent psalm. And here's a little bit of it, verses three and four. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God, not us. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that's just gone by or like a watch in the night. Isn't that astounding for God? A thousand years is like that. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like new grass in the morning, and the morning it springs up new by evening it's dry and wither. We don't know that reality here per se, because we get a lot of rain. Maybe you do in the summer here. But in the desert, God's people were there for 40 years. If a little precipitation comes in the morning, there's always seeds in the ground. So grass will pop up, but then the blazing heat comes, and by midday it's gone. And Moses is like, that's your life. Moses, this man, he knew death. It's estimated that, that 40 to 50 people died every day while they were journeying through the wilderness. That's three to four people an hour. This man knew death. He was an expert on it. It confronted him. He calls us people. He says, he says we're swept, you people are swept away. That Hebrew word for people, the root of it literally means frail or weak human. Maybe to right-size us, we should start greeting one another on Sunday mornings like, good morning, weak human. Good morning, old frail one, you know, because <laughs> we get so full of ourselves. And Moses is trying to, in the Hebrew, that pops, and you're like, oh, whoa. A great, uh, a, a modern metaphor that I would use is, uh, is bubbles. My daughter loaned me these. And uh, so I, I love these. Let me see if I can. Well, there's a little one. You can do this, right? And so you see bubbles, and you know, our dogs, when we do this at home, we got two dogs, they chase them and try to bite them. It's so funny. But look, the bubbles are great, but how long do they last? You know, there's some still lasting down. Now, what if the bubbles were like, I am the mighty permanent bubble who will never, <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. It's as ridiculous as us saying that. I mean, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm, I'm giving you, I gave you a lot of other metaphors, but that's life right there. 
And that's how death can be friendly to us as followers of Jesus. We don't have to fear it. Jesus has conquered it. So now death, it awaits us, but we don't have to be freaked out by it. We can say, well, it right-sizes me. I'm not God, obviously. And it puts us in a place of worship on our faces before the, the God of heaven and earth. And that's where we discover where real life is. Secondly, uh, death calls us to carpe diem. Uh, we, 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 when, we, when we're confronted with the reality of death, it makes moments poignant and meaningful and causes us to pay attention. Let's say someone discovered immortality. It would make our moments meaningless. Life would be so, like, but because we know life is so short, it means every single moment matters, followers of Jesus. Every moment matters. One of my favorite movies, still to this day, I, I watch it you know, occasionally, and it, it holds up. Some movies from the 80s don't hold up, is uh, Dead Poet Society. Anybody know that movie with Robin Williams? So if you're younger and you're like, what's that foolishness? And you know, it's, it's, it's not a Guardians of the Galaxy movie or something. Like, watch this movie. It's an important movie. It's a great movie. And in this, uh, Robin Williams is this eccentric English teacher at this you know, hoity-toity prep school for boys. And they've always just had straight-laced, everything's rules, so here he comes. He's just like creative, genius. And he comes in, and, and do you, remember, you might remember the scene. The picture will come up to kind of bring it in your mind and heart. He takes the class out into the hallway. And this school's hundreds of years old. So on the wall are pictures of past classes, and these boys are now dead. That's how old the school is. So he has them all sitting around these pictures, and then he has uh, one of them read a, a poem by Robert Herrick. Here's one of the lines. Gather ye rosebuds while you may, old time is still a-flying, and this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. And then he, uh, he tells them to gather at it. They're laughing and giggling like teenage boys. Well, they don't know what's going on. And so picture the scene. They're all like, he's got them like three feet from these pictures staring at these now dead boys. And then he's in their midst. And then he's like, carpe diem. And they're just standing around like, what's happening? And then he says, carpe diem. He's like, seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. That's the Bible. That's what, how death can be friendly to us. Moses, in the middle of Psalm 90, says this. This is exactly what he's saying. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's in knowing life is short that we really begin to live. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because death's out there and life is short, time becomes our most important commodity. There's nothing more valuable than your time because when you spend it, it's gone. It's not renewable. And the people in your life that you love know that. I, uh, I did a little research on how we spend our time, and it's kind of depressing. Uh, in a standard life, we'll spend six months at stoplights, eight months opening and reading junk mail. Just throw it away, throw it away. Uh, one year looking for misplaced items, for a few of you more than one year. I'm just saying, I'm just, I don't want to be a judge, but I'm just saying. Uh, two years unsuccessfully returning phone calls. Four years doing housework. Five years waiting in line. And six years eating, for some of us, seven years eating. I mean, that's a good one, I think. That's not a waste of time. But isn't that somewhat discouraging? Like, what are we doing with our lives? And when we're not thinking about death, when we're pushing it away, we just think we, in foolishness, just keep going on and on and on. 
And we miss how valuable every single moment is, especially for followers of Jesus. Kate Bowler is a professor at Duke Divinity School, and she's written a couple of bestsellers. Uh, she was, I think, 35 when she got diagnosed with terminal cancer, and it rocked her world. And she said she had to go from like incidents with like young children preparing to live to preparing to die. And she's been so courageous in writing books and going on podcasts and talking about her journey. Thankfully, right now, she's in remission, and that's wonderful. Let's, let's pray for Kate. She's got a very unique voice. But she was talking about uh, how her impending death made her slow down and treasure each moment. And she writes this. If I were to invent a sin to describe what that was for how I lived prior to her diagnosis, I would not say it was simply I didn't stop to smell the roses. It was the sin of arrogance, of becoming impervious to life itself. Now, check this line out. Such a great line. I failed to love what was present and decided to love what was possible instead. When we were denying death, we're not present with people. We're not present in moments. We're always preparing to live and never living. We fall prey to the tyranny of the urgent, where the urgent things crowd out the important, and we get to the end of our lives, we're like, what was I doing? Followers of Jesus, we don't have to do that now. Death serves us in that way. We know it's coming. We know Jesus broke it. So it, it, it brings intentionality to each moment. Uh, we, I heard somebody once say, we have, a, we have a birthday and we have a death day. Uh, what are we going to do with our dash? Uh, one of my favorite photos on planet Earth is of my daughter, Eden. I think she was like three, and a friend of ours took this. Uh, they were in Madison walking around the Capitol. And she's literally, I don't think there's a roses or tulips or something, but she's literally stopping. And I'll be full confessional as a parent. When this kind of stuff happens and I'm out with the kids, I'll be like, what are you doing? Come on, we got to go. And I'm like, Really? That's why Jesus says we got to be like kids. When's the last time we just stopped to smell the roses? We just were with the people. That You're here. You're not thinking about what's coming or, or what football game you're going to watch or where you're going to have lunch. You're just present with the Spirit of God. You're present with people. You know this moment will never happen again. That's how death can be friendly. And finally, and maybe most pronounced as we look at how the gospel treats death, death becomes a beginning and not an end. Apart from Jesus, death is an end. But those of us who belong to Jesus, it's a beginning. Paul says the wages of sin are death. But some of you know the second part of that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. The gospel comes in and transforms death into a doorway of life. Uh, at the end of uh, Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis's uh, six books, um, he, he writes a scene I'm going to read. Let me set it up. He, he, the kids are going back and forth right, from, from London or, or England uh, to these portal ways through a wardrobe, sometimes other ways. They get in this land of Narnia where they're kings and queens and they're fighting the evil witch and all this. So in this last book uh, called The Last Battle, uh, they're in a train accident. And, um, and then they're in Narnia. So they're just like, oh, that's a novel way for Aslan to get us into Narnia. That's a and Aslan approached him, he's like, I got, I got some, some hard news. Um, that was a real train accident. And then this great line, I love this phrase, C.S. Lewis said, in the children's hearts, a wild hope arose in them. A wild hope. And then he writes this. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over, the holidays have begun, the dream has ended. This is the morning. And then Lewis continues. The things that begin to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. 
And as for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which each chapter is better than the one before. We, we wrestle with death. Uh, we, we feel angry at it. We feel sad, and, and we should. Death, death is, is the enemy. Um, but it's not just the enemy for followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus uh, here today, the followers of Jesus all throughout, we've got this great 2,000 years of history. Uh, one of the sayings they've said to each other over the centuries is remember death. It's a Latin phrase. Remember death. Remember death. It sounds morbid in a way. It's not morbid. We don't need to fear death. As followers of Jesus, we need to think about it because it brings intentionality to our lives. It reminds us that we're not God. It allows us to be more fully human around one another and to use our one short lives for the glory of God and for the sake of the world. We need to remember death. St. Benedict wrote uh, uh, kind of a discipleship manual called The Rule of St. Benedict. And right, I think it's the second or third line, he says, keep death daily before one's eyes. So followers of Jesus, those of you who belong to Jesus, you're good. You don't need to fear death. You're held in Jesus. Remember death. Find a way as disciples to, to weave it into your journey so you're thinking about it because you'll be more fully alive. I have this thing where I, sometimes I go with my family. This sounds really morbid, I know, so don't judge. But we'll go to cemeteries and we just walk through cemeteries especially old ones, and we'll like read the names and we'll read when somebody died. Sometimes there's a child and sometimes there's a family together and we're like, what happened there? I wonder what happened there. But for our girls, I don't want to scare them, but they belong to Jesus. We don't need to be scared. I want it to heighten how important this life is and to see on full display that life is short. What does that look like for you, follower of Jesus? And if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, if you've not looked to Jesus uh, for life, uh, man, death is an end. That's just the raw reality. I don't know however else to say it. But as you look to Jesus to life, as you hold on to him for life, as he becomes your hope and you belong to Jesus, death is not the end. Death is the beginning. I want to I read to you uh, the words that Jesus said to, to Mary and Martha and all those gathered day. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And then he says, do you believe this? And I turn that question on you. Who is your hope in today? Will death be the end or will death be the beginning? I was listening the other day on, on my daily Bible readings and um, the story came that I've heard a bunch of times. It's the story of Jesus and Mark raising uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. And I'd, I've heard the story, I've read it a ton of times, but I'm listening to it now, so a different experience is happening. And I caught a line that I'd never caught in my life before. And it says, Jesus walked in and she'd been dead for a while. And Jesus looked at her and turned around the crowd. She's like, hey, she's just asleep. And it says this, this is what Mark wrote. He says, they laughed at him. <laughs> they weren't laughing for long. They weren't laughing for long. Followers of Jesus, may we remember death. May that bring a heightened sensitivity to how important our lives are for the glory of God and the good of others. As Paul said, to live is Christ. And that's the kind of church we want to be, being poured out for the sake of others. But we can also embrace death as a friend, knowing that one day, very soon for all of us, that's the raw reality, death will come. 
And it doesn't have to be an end. It can be a beginning. May we look, church, to Jesus for life. May we look to Jesus for hope. May we put our lives in his hands and hold on for dear life. Because even then, as death is an enemy, in Jesus, as we belong to Jesus, it will also be our friend. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for uh, the hope of the gospel that we can be together. I mean, let's just step back for a second, church. Like, how many scenarios you're in where you listen to a guy run his mouth on death for 40 minutes? Uh, That's not, people don't do this. We don't talk about it. We want to keep it at a distance. We're scared of it. We want to put it off. We want to, and it's foolishness. It's foolishness. So we want to be a community of truth. We want to be a community that our deepest identity is we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to Jesus. A community that we don't fear death, that we embrace it as a friend, and it allows us to live more human lives, more fully flourishing, shalom-centered lives. And God, I pray for the people in this room that aren't sure where they stand with you. They're not sure who they've placed their hope in. That offer Jesus made so long ago is is here for, for the taking for everyone, that he is the resurrection and life for all of us. Do we believe? May we pin our hopes to Jesus. So that when death comes knocking, we know it's simply a doorway to life. We pray these things in the matchless name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're in need of prayer, know that we want to come alongside you and pray with you for whatever circumstance you might be going through. Visit newhopepdx.org forward slash prayer to request prayer.